Hello, and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. And for most Westerners who are totally materialistic, we don't get it. We don't realise this, that we are more than a bunch of carbon. We're not meat from the top down and that's all we are. We are a soul. C.S. Lewis famously said, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. As you wander through life, have you ever found yourself asking the question, why? Or more specifically, why God? The why question reveals one of our deepest desires, to understand, and in doing so, have a sense of control. Dr. Corbett is engaging in a four-part series that seeks to explore the why question on four different fronts. Having already looked at why pain and why evil, tonight is the third in the series, the question, why loss? Let's join Dr. Corbett now. We're in the why series and we're dealing with issues that affect all of us. I don't want to sound like I've got all the answers about this either because as I have, I hope, said and made clear to you, there are some occasions when we ask why and we can't answer that question. So we have to ask a different question. And today is almost the preeminent example of that. There'll be times when all of us will ask why, particularly around this topic this morning. And I am not qualified to share what I'm about to share from life experience. And there are others here who I have walked through with you in your journey as you've had to deal with this. And so I just want to point out that in life there will be those times when we will ask why. And if you can see the faint writing behind the why question, there's, it's the word God. God, why? Why did this happen? Why did you let this happen? For many people, as, as we've seen, as we looked in our first session, why pain? For some people this becomes a deal breaker in, in even entertaining the idea of Christianity and And last week as we look at why evil and we we identified there's two kinds of evil. There's what people call natural evil and insurance companies call acts of God. And then there's the other kind of evil which we identified as moral evil. Moral evil, it's where someone chooses to do wrong. And we defined evil as that which is malicious and harmful. And so we identified, I think, one of the clearest and saddest examples of that kind of malicious evil taking place April 28, 1996, down at Port Arthur, that two-day event, the shooting and the siege, that led to the tragic loss of 35 lives. And today, I want to deal with this, and I want to deal with this because for, for many of you, you have asked why well, God, why, why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to them? And this is, I think, really sharp when it affects the loss of a loved one. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking that this is particularly painful when it's the loss of what we might call an innocent life. And I know Donna made the point that, you know, by the standard of perfection, none of us are perfect. That's true. But sometimes there are some people, some human beings, who may be weeks old, days old or months or years old, 
that haven't really had much of a chance to mess up too bad. The very first funeral I did, I was a pastor in my, my 20s. And I'd never done a funeral, been to funerals, never done a funeral. And I'm the senior pastor of a church where there's lots of people coming in and, and becoming Christians. This is almost inner city Melbourne. And we were on a journey with a, a couple that when she came to Christ, she was pregnant. And she was getting more pregnant by the week, as, as happens. And... They already had a, a son who was about three or four from memory, about two or three. And so this was an exciting time as they were expecting their second child. On the day their, their child was born, they had 10 minutes with their child. And their child died of human foot and mouth disease, which affected the the neural, neurological system and all kinds of things. And the baby was born with the physical defects of, of that. I, I don't know what you would say to a, a couple who knew Christians, been in your church for almost the entire length of the pregnancy. You're expecting that day arrives and then tragedy hits. And as hard as that was for them, it was, I found it, I found that really, really difficult. Really difficult. We at the time had two children and you know, I can only imagine the pain that they, they were going through. In fact, I, I, that's a silly thing. I, I couldn't even imagine the pain they were going through. So today I want to look at why loss and, and I preface it by saying as much as I haven't gone through what a couple like that has gone through, we have in some very small measure experienced loss and we when I when I was growing up I always wanted to have six children because there was just something fascinating about the Brady Bunch they just I didn't want to end up with the six children like they ended up with it I wanted I just thought six kids would be awesome the weird thing about it was I had this conflicting it's 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 called cognitive dissonance you probably don't mention that in primary school a lot but cognitive dissonance is when you have an idea that's really cool but you have an equally opposite idea that you think is also cool because my other idea was I don't think I'll ever get married so this it might kind of made it a challenge you know it's like this idea was was a, was problematic and then one day I had a dream about Kim and I'd never met Kim and I was I, I had this recurring dream where I, I saw I literally saw Kim in my dream and I thought I heard her name in my dream. The problem was I thought I heard her name was Ken. And <laughs> and I saw that she had four earrings and multiple earrings here and she had bleached blonde hair and and I remember I was, I was working at Kmart at the time and I, I told some of my colleagues, I said, look, I've been having this recurring dream, it's really weird. I had a dream about a girl, she's really, really pretty and blonde hair and earrings and, and I'm not going to tell you her name. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I had, in this dream, I, I sat down on a bench and I was talking with her and, and, and I just knew stuff and I, I shared stuff and she was crying and, and, and then I was involved in a, an outreach at... Uh, uh, Deakin University in Geelong and it was mainly 
Malaysian students, so nearly all of my friends were Malaysian and at that time, and so she was the only other white person there. And I really, this is going to sound weird, I, I really hadn't paid too much attention because I thought I had the same gift as the Apostle Paul, and I don't mean apostleship, I thought I'm going to serve God as a single man for the rest of my life, and I'm, I'm about 23 years of age, and, and I'm, just, I'm just, this is where I'm going. So I was packing up my guitar at the end of that, that Christian meeting, and as I packed my guitar up, the, the leader came over, the Asian leader came over and said, oh, did you notice there's another Australian here? And I, I hadn't, it's going to sound, you're going to think, I, I, I hadn't. It's kind of like um, this week, Jeff bricked up the, the gap. Anyone notice the bricks? All right. Ali came in yesterday to the men's breakfast. Where are you, Ali? Where's Ali? Ali's at the back. Ali came in and we were talking about it and Ali said, yeah, I thought there was something different about the wall. See, this is the way guys kind of <laughs> see things. <laughs> I don't know if you have to deal with that, Lois, but you know, it's all the time, all the time. Okay. So, and Kim gets really frustrated with me too. So anyway, he, he said that there's another Australian here and so I, okay, all right, well, I'll, and he was really saying, just at least say hello. So, okay, so I packed my guitar up and, I'm, and between my guitar and the door, Kim actually came over and she put her hand out, not to shake, but to kiss. And I kid you not, I did, I kissed her hand. I thought, oh, I've never in my life had anyone do that. And if you know Kim, you'll know. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a yawn moment because she just does weird stuff like that. So, so I did, I kissed her. And the moment I looked at her, I, I thought, oh, you're, and guys, and I say this, guys, listen to me now. Young guys who aren't married, here's one of the greatest pieces of advice you'll ever get if you want to hook up with a girl for life. Don't ever say the first thing that comes into your head. Now, I'm telling you from personal experience, don't. Because the moment I looked at her, I thought, oh, you're the woman of my dreams. <laughs> See, you, you're all thinking I'm preaching now and I'm just making this up as I go along. It, I was there. It, this actually happened. <laughs> she was there too. Fortunately for me, in one of those rare moments of getting it rightness, I didn't actually say that. Which I'm, to the, this day, I'm staggered over that I I'd managed to refrain myself but I I looked at it and I thought you are the you're the girl you got the four earrings and the four earrings the bleached blonde she had bleached blonde hair and oh my goodness and she said hello my name's Kim I thought oh thank god <laughs> so I had a flush of boldness and I said look I I don't know if this means anything to you but can I ask you have you have you just been kicked out of home and there was that, that exact same response. And next thing she starts crying. And now she's sitting on the floor. And I was about to go. And she's sitting on the floor. And I'm thinking, now what do I do? Because how do you talk to girls? How do you talk to a crying girl? I, I was stumped. So I, I just thought, well, I've just got to make this up as I go along now. Because I have no idea what to do. So I, I just sat down and I said, well... You know, I'm thinking, well, I'll take that as a yes. And has this happened? And has this happened? And did this happen? And it's just... And I knew God had brought us together. 
I, I knew that, but I, I wasn't, you know, sign here, notice of intended marriage or anything like that. I wasn't doing that, but, but I, I just, this is, there's something very, very weird happening here. As you would, right? You'd be forgiven for thinking something very weird's going on here. And so I, when 18 months later or so, Kim was finishing her teaching degree and we went out for nine months and then we were engaged for another nine months. We married uh, mid-semester in her final year of her teaching degree, Deacon, and we moved to Shepparton and I became a, a youth leader in a church up there and a manager with uh, the Colesmire group and we just wanted to have kids. And for the next three years, it looked like we would never be able to have children. And I, I, to go through the, the story is I wanted to have six children and, I've ha- and we've had six children. So you do the maths and I can tell you that you, you go through life's ups and downs. You, you go through that. And I'm only saying that to say what I'm about to tell you is not some theory in a vacuum. It's not in a vacuum flask. I'm not pulling this out of a test tube. This is... This is stuff that's, that, that's real and, it, and I, I just want you to hear what I'm saying and I don't pretend to have exactly the right words or the right answer so please track with me. We're in Genesis chapter 2 and this is God's intention and while we talk about why loss there's lots of things that cause us to, you know, I'm going to use this word probably quite a bit, grieve. And we can grieve all kinds of things. We can grieve losing a job. We can grieve losing a possession. We can grieve when our football team tracks, you know, right up into the grand final. And, and I was listening to the AFL final last year and praise God, Doug Collingwood lost. Hallelujah. And for me, it was a time of rejoicing. I was on a train on my way to Hungary from Germany and, and I'm watching the score on my phone. And for Doug, it was a time of grief. It was a time of deep grief, and he's, 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 he's in, someone passing the tissues. This is, it's grief. So you can grieve things like that, but I want to preface it and say, it's when we, and I'm going to use this term incorrectly, it's when we lose a loved one that we struggle to deal with it. And here's why. Because I think intuitively, when we look at this, intuitively there is something in us that says there's something not right about that because it says then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it mind you Eve's not here at this point so God's talking to Adam and it says and the Lord God commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die the point here is Adam and Eve were created to be people who would live on there's another tree which they would have to be sustained by it's called the tree of life they never got to eat of that tree in fact when they sinned and there was a death that began to set into them God banned them barred them from partaking of the tree of life so I think the reason why when we lose a loved one that ache hurts so much is because we are created never to die. We're actually created never to die. It's like getting a brand new car that's supposed to do something. Like uh, anyone apart from Jeff ever struggled with the GPS in their car. Yeah, there's a couple. Of, my parents couldn't figure it out either on their recent trip. And so it's frustrating when you know it's supposed to be like this and it's like that. And so that can kind of hurt. But the ache of loss 
and I mean the loss of someone you love, through death, is more sharp. And the Bible word is it's an affliction because mankind was designed to live forever. I want to give you, I think, six facts about death. This is not meant to be gloomy. This is meant to be real because this is the stuff of life. As Christians, we know death is not the end. And if I had the time, if I was in a lecture, I, would, I wouldn't take 30 minutes to talk about this. I'd take two hours to talk about this. And I would use evidence from Professor Gary Habermas, the world's leading expert on what's called NDEs, near-death experiences. In fact, as he points out, they're not near-death experiences at all. They're post-death. They're post-mortem experiences. And he documents in a book about this thick case after case after case of people who died not just for seconds, not just on an operating table where they had a heart transplant, where you've got seconds to live and uh, for the bodily functions to sane. This is for minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes to the point where many of these people and the one that is just mind-boggling is the guy who came in from a car accident who was bandaged across his eyes came in and they had to operate on him and he died on the operating table and was pronounced dead and suddenly minutes later the meters kicked in again and he's he's alive and Gary Habermas says, and when he regained consciousness, this young man, very young man, I think a, a teenager, the, the surgeons came in just staggered, just stunned at what had happened and said, you know, how are you feeling? He said, whose left tennis shoe is it? You, you may have heard me tell this story. Whose left tennis shoe is it? And they're going, sorry, um, what? Something happened to me in that surgical ward. And he described the doctors in the ward. He described the nurses in the ward. He says, my body, I, I left my body. I went through the wards. I went to the top of the hospital. And on the, the roof of the hospital is a size nine men's left white canvas tennis shoe. And I've been lying here for the life of me thinking, how the heck did that get there? And the surgeons hearing this, not really concerned about the tennis shoe, but but the fact that this, this young man has got such a vivid recollection of what happened to him in that space, in that gap, on the operating table. Well, what would you do if you were the surgeon? Well, go to the roof. So he asked for a surgical colleague who was in, the, in the, the surgery room. Could you meet me, you know, in 15... On the roof, there was a men's size 9 white canvas tennis shoe on the roof. Brought it down, put it under his coat, came back into the thing and he, he said, now tell my colleague what you, and he say, t tells him, who's, how did the tennis shoe get on the roof? And as he's telling that, the other surgical guy's going, oh yeah, uh-huh, mm. that's the drugs. And, it's, it's like, and then this surgeon says, I actually went to the roof and is this the tennis shoe? And he said, that's it, how did it get there? He said, we don't know, but that's not the point right now. How did you know it was there? And it's one of, and Gary Habermas has got hundreds of these where he presented at a, a neurological conference in Los Angeles not that long ago. And, and he raises the point. People who think you are just meat from the top down, that all you are is just a bag of cells, 
are deluded. The evidence, the scientific evidence says you are more than carbon. Here's a a quote from C.S. Lewis, and and you may need just to soak this in a bit because this is profound. But as I make the first fact about death, death is not the end of human existence. C.S. Lewis said this, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. You see, mortal means it had a beginning and it has an end. And nations, civilizations, art, it has, it'll, it has an end. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendours, said C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory. This is profound. See, an immortal, immortal means you had a beginning, but you never have an end. When you are having tea and coffee after this service, you are not hanging out with mere mortals. Every person listening to me right now is immortal. Jesus said that. John, uh, sorry, uh, Matthew 10, he made this very clear. Whom we should fear in the sense of obey. And, and he says the one, every, every one of us has a body and a soul, that immaterial part of us. The second fact about death is that death ratifies life's choices, life's decisions. And Jesus said in, in Luke 13 verse 3, that the choices, the decisions you make in this life, they carry with you into eternity. Now I know that there's well-meaning people called the Roman Catholic Church who want to tell you that if you pay enough money, we can undo all that. It's called indulgences. And Martin Luther was, was one of the first ones to say, hang on a minute. How on earth can money change someone's eternal destiny after they're dead? And for that, they put a death sentence on him. And the Lutheran church was formed. (laughs) So the choices you make in this life, whether you, and and the biggest choice, the biggest decision you've got to make is about the identity of Christ. Is, Is he who he claimed to be or is he irrelevant? Because he said it will affect your eternal destiny. The third thing about death is that the Lord delights in the death of the righteous. That's why whenever I do a funeral of someone who is a Christian, We don't call it a funeral, we call it a celebration of a life. And Ian Loft, where are you? You you were telling me, but you you went to the celebration of a life just last week. How old? 94? 91. And it was a celebration of a life, of someone whose life was worth celebrating. The Lord delights. It says in Psalm 116 verse 15, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And saints isn't the people who get the halo in the paintings. A, a saint is someone who has received God's forgiveness. And that's hopefully you as well. But the scripture also says in Ezekiel 18 verse 23 that the Lord does not delight in the death of the wicked. So the Lord takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And it goes on in verse 32 to describe 
to put it this way, for I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, and he's, the context is the wicked, declares the Lord God, so turn and live. Why he comes back to this, life choices in this lifetime carry with you into eternity. This is what scripture clearly teaches. Here's a fact that I think too few realize, but this is a biblical truth, that death does not mean termination, it means separation. Death means separation. And the example of that young boy feeling separated from his body is, is a kind of a beautiful illustration of what death is. It's a separation. And there are hundreds, no, there are millions, literally millions of people who've had post-mortem experiences where they experience something, leave them, they, leaving their body and sink, there's their body. And they, they're, they're disconnected from it. And they approach a light. This is a universal experience. doesn't matter what religious background you've got. Everyone who has a post-mortem experience, this is a universal thing. So death means separation. And scripture puts it this way. If you get this, as the body apart from the spirit is dead. You see, the point is not that the spirit ceases to exist. The body ceases to exist, but the spirit is immortal. Our spirits are immortal. Jesus said that. Now, I've got to... I've got to go with him on this because I think he knew a thing or two. Our spirit is immortal. And James, his half-brother, says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. But the point there is that he uses this as a, well, everyone knows this. And for most Westerners who are totally materialistic, we don't get it. We don't realise this, that we are more than a bunch of carbon. We're not meat from the top down and that's all we are. We are a soul. C.S. Lewis famously said, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Facts about death number six is this one. Everyone will die. Everyone will die. And this is one of those things that I've had the rare privilege of having people come to me and say, I've been diagnosed with a terminal disease. I've got X number of weeks or months to live. I'd like you to do my funeral. And I point out, exactly as I point out to couples who ask me to marry them, I say, I, I, to a couple um, preparing for marriage, I, I say, I don't do great weddings, but I, I really love helping people have a great marriage. I don't do great funerals, but over these next few weeks, I'd love to help you die well. And if you've been in this church long enough, you'll hear me say, every time I preach, I'm actually preparing you to die well. I want you all to die well. And it's not gloomy, it's realistic. To die well, because I've been at the bedside of people, and there are doctors and there are nurses, and, and we have the manager of the surgical unit here. <laughs> and and you, not everyone dies well. And it's it's really awkward to watch so I want to help you die everyone will die it says in Hebrews 9 27 just this just as a matter of fact just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment two facts we're all going to die and we're all going to be judged we're all going to stand before God and give an account of our life in Psalm 90 verse 10 it says this the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength maybe 80 uh, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and will fly away. Now the point there is if you're over 80, uh, Aaron, uh, don't, don't fret. <laughs> it, it, this is a truism. And the point of this statement is, and I'm sure if over a coffee you ask Aaron, Aaron, 
uh, now that you've lived to, what are you, 127? What are you now? It's like, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> you, you get to someone's age like, um, who else could I pick on now that I've sort of burnt my bridges with Aaron? Um, <laughs> you get to a certain age and you actually feel like the years fly by. And I know if you're a teenager, you go, oh, yeah, well, that's... Kim said to me, who was that old bloke? I said, hang on a minute, how old was he? Oh, he's at least 50. <laughs> the point is that you get to a certain age, they tell me, <coughs> that <laughs> the years fly by and the days drag on. And I'm sure if you ask some of our senior people here, is, is that your story? They go, yeah, it's like, it's weird. It's poof. And that's what this psalmist is saying. You get 70 years or maybe 80 and even still it will f- they are soon gone and they fly away. A- and we know this and yet too few of us prepare to die well. The seventh fact about death, I know I said six, I got seven, is this, is exactly this point, is that too few people prepare to die well. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or a premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select Why Loss from our online store. As we've heard tonight, we were designed to live forever. So the sting of death is sharp. It's not what was supposed to happen. Everyone will die and we'll all be judged, but we can have confidence that God's plan is always good. More from Dr. Corbett next week with the final in this series, Why Failure? Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.